Hello everyone, this is Kevin, this is the Yoga Life Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by the nature of things. They are the purveyors and the crafters of pure essential oils. They've won tons of awards, they're really fancy and they do beautiful stuff. They help to make your house, your yoga room, any place smell good <laughs> by uh, by giving you loads of nice oils. And all you've got to do in exchange for those oils is give them money. But then when you give them money, you get a bit off if you use the promo code. And that promo code is Yoga Life. Use the promo code Yoga Life on the nature of things.ie once you've put your stuff in your virtual basket and you get 10% off all products until October 31st. So check them out. Also, this podcast is brought to you by Small Changes, organic, eco-friendly whole food store based here in Dublin. They do stuff for the house, stuff for your face, the, the, the hole in your face to put food in, and uh, they help to look after the environment and also help to look after yourself. So if you'd like to come to one of my workshops, you can come to the next one, which is December 14th, which is a handstand workshop in Salt and Soul in Sligo. So that's, yeah, on a Saturday. If you'd like to come down, we're going to make a bit of a day of it. Uh, it's a two-hour workshop in total. And you can always maybe, you know, make a weekend of it. Stay in a hotel, stay in an Airbnb, do something like that. Uh, if you enjoy this podcast at any stage, please leave a review on iTunes or share it with your friends on your Instagram stories or actually tell someone. That would be fantastic. Uh, this podcast today, this episode, is with Neve Daly. Neve is specializes in the area of menopause so pre-menopause post-menopause but perimenopause the bit that's in the middle between pre and post so we talk about menopause and i think this episode works well because i ask kind of uh, dumb questions because i don't know much about menopause believe it or not and uh, i only know about hot flushes from what my mum tells me so um, hopefully you learn a, a bit as well and uh, we start to understand more about a topic that probably doesn't get enough attention, particularly in Irish culture. So, yes, that's it. That's Neve. She was fantastic. She was great fun. I hope you really enjoyed this episode. Without further ado, here's the lady herself. Hey, Neve, how's it going? I am good, Kevin. Thank you. Thanks for coming. Thanks for having me. <laughs> <laughs> I've been listening to your podcast. You've been on a few, haven't you, so far? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> yeah for one thing and another, yeah. yeah. But it's uh, becoming really important to me to reach a wider audience with what I want to yeah. share, yeah. Yeah, and I think what you what I've realised on this podcast is, although I'm speaking to a lot of yoga teachers, they have different offerings. I mean, because mm. yoga encompasses so, so many different things, doesn't it? Absolutely. A and particularly your subject area that I, I mean as as a man I will never experience it um and that is menopause mm -hmm. um why is it called menopause and not menostop <laughs> that is a very good point that is a really good point Thank I mean you. certainly at the beginning of your journey towards menopause your menses are pausing because they don't suddenly stop um but I don't know why unless maybe Sounds a bit harsh, Thousands maybe. of years back, maybe, we 
started menstruating again when we were living till we were 400. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. And those like cavemen, those guys made up the name. Yeah. <laughs> Highly likely. Those cavemen guys. <laughs> <laughs> and and there's this post, there's, um, oh sorry, there's pre-menopause, there's post-menopause, but a term that you've introduced to me is perimenopause. Mm. Oh wow, I've introduced that to you. I'm yeah. delighted. What's yeah. that? So that's the bit actually that most women... Uh, journey with in a way that can be very varied and either fairly smooth or really really difficult so really when people are talking about menopausal symptoms they are actually talking about perimenopausal uh, activities in the body Mm. so menopause is when all of that just flatlines the estrogen comes to a steady low and the progesterone comes to a steady low and you're just simply not menstruating but you're also for most people not experiencing the highs and lows of perimenopause so perimenopause can start in your mostly starts in your 40s yeah can even start in your 30s but often women don't realize they're in it they just think their body is breaking down so that's perimenopause and that's what I'll be mostly talking about in terms of what yoga can help with and what women really struggle with yeah um and you mentioned I know this is maybe a slightly different topic so we can come back to it but Mm. about how women shouldn't necessarily exercise the same way men do. Mm. Um, what, do what, what do you mean by that? So that that's something that I don't know a huge amount about, but um, read about recently. Um, and this was a, a conversation from, or a, a lecture from a guy who is specialising in sort of normal, quote unquote, normal physical activity for weight loss for women. You know, so he's a personal trainer as well as being a medic Mm. um, or a GP of some sort. He's in the States. And he was talking about how exercising like a a 20 year old, you know, rugby jock Mm -hmm. for a woman in her 20s or 30s, the kind of high impact stuff people do in the gym is for a woman is going to lower her thyroid function, really stress the body. So actually she's counter, it's counterproductive for many women because our hormone picture is so different. So you guys have testosterone, we have estrogen and progesterone. They don't do the same things. Hmm. So to behave in the same way physically or to expect your body to behave in the same way physically as a woman, uh, as a man, when you're a woman, even in your 20s and 30s, can lead to thyroid uh, fatigue I think he didn't call it fatigue but uh, uh, impact on the thyroid which then leads to fatigue and all sorts of other things well I think also as well um, that the aesthetic like say men who have a six-pack or mm-hmm. you know a, a very uh, defined abdominals then sometimes I think women feel like they need to have that as well mm-hmm. and and they want to get to the same body weight as some really fit men mm-hmm. and I think that from my limited knowledge on this that women well, I mean we we know that men's body weight is, is a healthy man mm-hmm. his body weight is much less oh, sorry his body percentage, yeah, fat, fat, per- percentage sorry, yeah. fat percentage is much less than a woman's yeah but I think sometimes we see these say uh, very these rare occasions on Instagram for example if someone has a woman with a six-pack mm-hmm. and she's a CrossFit athlete mm-hmm. and we some women think I need to look like that mm-hmm. and therefore they're putting their body weight to an unhealthy level their body uh, fat to an unhealthy but, level but body yeah, fat to an unhealthy absolutely. level and I, I've because I've experienced this um, I've, I've known people who've done that and they you know they stop 
uh, having their periods mm-hmm. or they um, their hormones all messed up, and it's very hard to recover from that. Supposedly, mm. um, have you noticed that a trend in that or uh, what I'm talking about? I think it's ubiquitous. We see it everywhere. Yeah, and. Uh, we all know that the strangeness of seeing a, a woman bodybuilder, it just it's anathema to what uh, the female shape is to have these hardened breasts and these hardened abs and mm. these bulky shoulders and incredibly bulky thighs. When you look at a woman who doesn't do any of that versus a man who doesn't do any of that, any any exercise, a man and a woman who don't do any exercise look naturally very different. Um, so for me, for anyone to try and emulate each other, Mm. seems peculiar Um, and the interesting thing about fat for women is fat stores estrogen so actually it's a really helpful organ fat is an organ it's an endocrine organ it stores hormones and releases hormones it also stores toxins away from the vital organs it's a beautiful organ it's also an organ of sensuality and sexuality because it loves to be cuddled and it's full (laughs) of veins and neurology it's not this random extra layer of goo on the outside of your body it's a very beautiful thing even when you dissect a body Mm. it's a very beautiful shiny substance um so for a woman to get rid of that particularly when she's coming towards uh her late 30s early 40s she's doing herself a disservice because uh, a healthier body weight in terms of fat layers will sometimes often indeed smooth your way through perimenopause because you'll have these stores of estrogen that Mm. a skinnier woman won't have yeah yeah that is and and, but then that image though you're talking about about the body female bodybuilder like my sister and my girlfriend and other you know they'll say i'll I'll be like you know do some exercise do some push-ups whatever it is tim i think Mm -hmm. and um but they'll think uh they'll say to me have said to me well i don't want to get big muscles like you see the women on tv Mm. and i say these women a lot of them are on testosterone placement they're they're taking like steroids and stuff and that's why they look that way and uh and that it won't happen to you because you don't have enough testosterone in in your body exactly um but um so go, let's go back to <laughs> female bodybuilders. <laughs> From female bodybuilders um, to the to the perimenopause, uh, and um, at what age do you start noticing the? Or age do women start noticing the effects of menopause? So that depends on how aware you are, and one of the reasons I want to do the podcasts that I'm doing and be interviewed and be teaching around this area is that most people don't know the answer to that question. Most women don't know, let alone men or the children of these women. So the first thing that women will start to notice that they may not relate to the change in their hormonal life is that around their early 40s, maybe late 30s, early 40s, they'll probably get this surge of feeling really energized, looking fabulous, really glowing, feeling really sexy, increased libido. They'll all start, you know, deciding they're going to run a marathon or start a new business because you get this, the body's last surge of come and fertilize my eggs, please. Wow. Yeah. So you get this delicious big surge of estrogen. So estrogen has been described to me brilliantly by a woman I do some um, co-facilitate some workshops with she's a nutritional therapist and she describes estrogen as like the fantastically capable party hostess who is standing glowing in the middle of the room she's multitasking she knows exactly when the oven needs to be turned off she knows exactly how to wow everybody with fabulous conversation she makes everybody feel um, sexy and she feels sexy herself and progesterone is like 
the uh, really solid, capable, listening aunt on the sofa who you can go to with your problems. And those are the things that start to fluctuate and then fall away during perimenopause and into menopause. So before it, you get a surge in your um, brilliance. You just feel fab. And that can be uh, often friends or yoga students will talk about how fab they're feeling. And I'm kind of quietly going, I know what this is the preamble to, but I'm not going to talk about it to them then because it's a really enjoyable phase. Mm. So that would be sorry to disappoint you, ladies who are listening to this podcast. You now know (laughs) if you get that delicious phase, it's not. Well, no, it could be that you're absolutely fab. And it is that you're absolutely (laughs) fab because actually we are simply everything. All of our functions are simply a response to our hormones. Everything, every part of our life cycle, every um, everything we do from waking up in the morning to choosing when to eat, to having a nap, to going to sleep at night, everything is hormone regulated. So it is a natural brilliance. So then, uh, even before any change in menstruation, a woman might start to notice maybe disrupted sleep patterns or um, warm flushes is what I used to get initially just not feeling like I had to take off all my clothes off to get cool enough, but just that sense of just a little bit of building heat in the body that was passing. Mm -hmm. Um, She might uh, get into a phase of achy joints or feeling like her body's not quite doing what it used to do as efficiently or as comfortably as it used to. But because her periods haven't changed, that's when she starts to get fearful or can get fearful because she's just looking at this body and she's thinking, okay, menopause is for people in their 50s and 60s. I Mm. ain't menopausal. So what the hell's going on? Mm. She doesn't talk to anybody about it because we can all be fairly private about our uh, bodily health or otherwise. And if we're feeling a bit spooked by some symptom or other in our body, we quietly worry until we eventually freak out and go to the doctor. I saw a great, uh, I think I shared on on Facebook and Instagram recently, was uh, a quote from somebody I can't remember who. And it said, welcome to your 40s. If you haven't got a mysterious illness, one will be assigned to you shortly, (laughs) which is exactly what it feels like. And it can feel like that for men, too. But that's a a separate issue. So I can't remember entirely what your question was. The the signs Mm -hmm. signs of premenopause. But but actually, Say you're, you know, you're married or you're with someone and you both get into your 40s. He's going to start slowing down a little bit and then she starts speeding up. As in she's, her mm-hmm. libido's going up. So what, what kind of effect does that have on a relationship? Or is that, am I right in that a man slows down when he's... So, so, so say they're at the same age. Mm-hmm. She's in premenopause. She's thinking, right, last chance to get the eggs fertilized, as you were saying. Mm-hmm. And the husband or the partner... I mean, is it, what's his hormones generally like at that age? I will admit to having no idea. Um, <laughs> we all hear about the male midlife crisis. So I suspect that something goes on in a man's hormones that makes him go out and buy the portion of those classic things or have the affair or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but in a way, I kind of think that it's probably biologically really good if the husband isn't interested in this woman's libido because having a kid in your 40s ain't no joke. So maybe it's quite a, a you know, a healthy but then, thing. But then what does she do with her energy? Well, she might start a business. She might go run a marathon. She might find herself sleeping with somebody else. She might find herself separating in her marriage. 
um, from her marriage. If it's, you know, it's the, some of the positives of perimenopause are that you just don't take no shit no more. So you start oh, to look at, <laughs> am I allowed to swear on your podcast? Yeah, of course, Kevin? yeah. You. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, you might start looking at your life in a different light. And mm. there can be a little disgruntlement starts to come in because your needs aren't being met. Yeah. Now, the difficulty is that sometimes you'll make a mistake in that time that you might leave a relationship that's perfectly good because you're just feeling that delicious antsiness and uh, desire. Um, or you might be, excuse me, <clears throat> you might be stable enough in that relationship to stay. Who knows? It's a... Uh, it's a delicate time and it's probably good to know what's going on, actually, so that you can make your decisions wisely, I suppose. Yeah, well, speaking as, um, you know, as a man, I, I, would, I would advise any men who are listening to this to do strenuous exercise. At, In at, what age? At that age? At, at any age. Mm -hmm. I, I, believe, I mean, I'm 30, nearly 38 and uh, I am stronger, more flexible, more able now than I've ever been mm -hmm. because I don't I mean it's all relative isn't it I probably sound young to some people but old to some other people mm -hmm. but for fellas I mean I have a need to like to strain myself I, I need that every day like mm -hmm. a physical exertion that to a point where I'm like completely exhausted mm. I have that every single day I have to get out of my system and that's why um it's funny that's why you know me and my girlfriend is so different because she's like real soft and gentle and into mm -hmm. emotions and that kind of stuff and uh, I am too, to, to a certain degree, but I do, that's why I like, really like martial arts fighting. I like confrontation, uh, not confrontation, competition, mm. and to like push myself to a point where it's like feels like really primal. Mm. And I think that makes a big difference to your libido. Because mm. um, I know lads my age who have put on weight and they go for the motions, they go for a jog here and there. And um, I know from first-hand experience that, well, from them telling me that, you know, they don't get their leg over anymore. <laughs> you know, it's like it's once a week job, um, which which is fine. But you know, if your missus is going to start firing up when she's mm -hmm. in her forties, you got to be on your game. You know. <laughs> well, you never know. Maybe it will fire you up. You know, and uh, you will enjoy a surge for yourself as well. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> um, so to, okay, so talk to me about say if you are. I am thinking from a man's perspective. You know, and, and being the, the partner in this, but. So the signs you talked about when you're coming into premenopause and then perimenopause, um, what when you're in it then, in the actual, as you said, mm -hmm. perimenopause, how long does that last for? So perimenopause can last between eight and ten years and sometimes a little shorter, um, but usually not much. The good thing is, is that 20% of women will have uh, pretty severe and some really really struggly times with the symptoms of, of perimenopause, about 60% will have mild to moderate reactions to the fall off of hormones and about 20% won't even notice it. Sometimes I listen to uh, people giving out about women talking about the menopause going, what's the deal? It's just a couple of hot flushes. And they have no idea of the struggle that maybe I might go through as someone who's experienced mod moderate uh, to mild symptoms. And then I'm talking to women who have experienced it severely and I'm thinking my god I had no idea so that's part of the reason why I'm you know advocating for for us all really in speaking about what's possible and that if you find that you sail through it please don't assume that, that it means that the people who are not sailing through it are just a bit um, sorry for themselves or if they just buck up and do x y or z they'd be grand it really is um, 
it's the luck of the draw. We often echo our parents' menopause, our mother's menopause, not our dad's because they don't have menopause. <laughs> um, so we often echo our mother's menopause. But the thing is, for my generation, our mothers didn't talk about their menopause. So it was uh, swept under the carpet, an embarrassing subject. So we're the maverick generation, us 40-something women now, who are starting to speak about it and say, this is what mm. we need. Yeah. And the great thing is now that um, there's legislation being discussed in the EU about menopause leave from work, from the workplace. Oh, and wow. making Yeah, and making workplaces more menopause friendly. Hmm. Um, for, for, okay, so let's say because I want to talk about the extreme cases. So you're saying if you, or let's say, what have you seen that the menopause can cause that's kind of on the extreme end? Okay, so um, crippling joint pain, so you can't walk your kid to school anymore, um, or people who've had to give up their work because of pain, uh, exhaustion, uh, severe anxiety, people who have never experienced anxiety in their lives ending up on anxiety, anti-anxiety medication, uh, severe depression, people ending up on antidepressants, um, night sweats where you have to change the sheets three times a night. Yeah. Um, I'm sure a, f a few more things will come to my head. And, but, and, mean, and how do you then design a yoga practice to help that or to okay. ease, those, ease those symptoms? So for someone who's experiencing that severity of symptoms, and in those, those circumstances, I would absolutely call them symptoms. When someone's in a milder, version of perimenopause i'd try to call them traits because it's symptomatic means medical means uh, lack of health and actually it's not about that no yeah so for those women i would call that symptoms so if someone came to me like that i would firstly say i can't fix you mm. i can help you through this journey i would be pointing out to her when she needs to go for more targeted health in terms of medication potentially so that she doesn't take her own life for instance there's you know the depression can be that severe. Um, in terms of yoga, I would probably suggest that she do one-on-one -on -one initially. And I would be mostly working with self-acceptance. I would be working with rest. Um, one of the major, and I think probably the, the most impactful things about perimenopause is that your cortisol levels rise hugely and mm. stay chronically high. And that's why yoga can be great for perimenopause. Um, so I would be doing work with her to try and get her cortisol levels down. So that would mostly be working with restorative yoga poses and meditation and pranayama um, and really helping her to soften her opinion of herself, to be kinder to herself, to uh, work into acceptance of what's going on, to know there's light at the end of the tunnel and really encouraging her to talk mm. to her peers to find support groups, that kind of thing. So do you think then, um as as you're aging see I, I feel like as aging as a man your exercise routine your physical routine shouldn't change that much mm -hmm. but do you think that because of the the menopause it, you have to um not do it's basically strenuous exercise still so um when your estrogen and progesterone start to fluctuate your energy levels fluctuate mm. and when you exercise um strenuously like marathons or stuff like that or maybe not marathons not even just marathons what am i talking about like running 10k at the fullest extent of your speed capability mm. or going to the gym and doing a really harsh workout then you're raising cortisol so cortisol raises when you are exercising strenuously and cortisol is number one 
uh, bully in the playground of the body of the perimenopausal woman. So exercising strenuously, and the other thing that women do when they're in perimenopause because they start to see a, a weight gain around their bellies is they reduce their calorie intake. Mm. And both of those things raise cortisol and cortisol increases weight gain because mm. of uh, it creates carbohydrate craving. Um, so we're getting into a cycle of I can't sleep, so I need more you know, I'm craving sugary foods. I've got too much cortisol. That's craving uh, sugary foods. And uh, my exercise is creating cortisol. So all of those things are, and they're also increasing insulin, which is a number one fat storing hormone in the female body. Mm -hmm. So it's basically about reconfiguring what you expect of your body, but also what's healthy for it. So certainly cortisol raising activities are really the number one thing you need to avoid because they're already high from the fluctuations of your hormones. So I would say absolutely do not stop exercising. I would say adapt. We change in chunks of about decades, particularly women and men too, but particularly women. So to not presume that your body is going to continue doing what it used to do and when that happens, when you start to feel those differences, like the achy joints, like you maybe you go running and you feel the deep fatigue after your run that you used to feel, or you have the pain in the joints, change that to a fast walk holding dumbbells instead. Um, or if you still really feel the nourishment of the run, but your body is feeling wrecked after it, you still have the emotional uh, high that you need then factor in rest rest after activity is a great way of bringing cortisol down mm. so you can still do the, the exercise that you've loved but you've got to factor in if you're a yogi you can stick in a bit of shavasana or a restorative yoga pose or even after a run go for a stroll for 10 minutes after bring down the cortisol all the time factor in rest as mm. part of your uh, daily or your exercise activity and that's why yoga is so great it's mm. got it in there yeah it's, it's funny like when people think of rest sometimes they think it's being lazy you know I, they find it hard to take time off and even in shavasana you you have to almost sell the shavasana to people <laughs> like this Some is why people I, leave the room before shavasana and no, not much in my classes because yeah. i'm all about the squishy but yeah i've, yeah. I've heard that as well. i've had that happen once and uh i addressed it with the person to mm. tell them i wasn't happy no uh, and there's there keystone isn't there, it there needs to be a good reason to do it because it's disrespectful unless it's a good reason to do it i think it's disrespectful to the other students you oh, know but you, it's you, disrespectful you, to their own bl to bloody bodies yeah, yeah so true yeah you know i mean meant to say beautiful bodies not bloody bodies <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, but um, so what was interesting you said earlier about um, the, in the workplace and how now they're starting to accommodate women. Uh, well, they're starting to talk about it. Okay. <laughs> but I, I'm what that, that touches on the subject of modern culture and how that affects uh, women's health. For example, I think that in the workplace, women are encouraged to act in a masculine way you know mm. to be go-getters and to never cry if you cry you're weak you know you're, you're uh, it's a bit like the Theresa May when she resigned it became a headline that she cried um she said she was up on the podium outside number 10 Downing Street and she said it's been my she said, this whole speech all very composed and then towards the end, you could see her starting to quiver. And she said, it's been my honor to serve the country that I love. And as she said that I love, mm. she started crying and her mouth opened and she had to walk off. 
But everyone, everyone that was watching that was like, it was big headline. Look at this woman crying. And, but the funny thing is that endeared her to a lot of people like, oh, she is human. Whereas before that, they're like, who is this robot? Like Margaret Thatcher. But that seems to be um, rewarded in the workplace to be more masculine Mm -hmm. and to get ahead. Uh, So have you, um, I'm interested in your thoughts of like, you know, how modern culture affects how we treat the menopause. And maybe once upon a time, we were more like hunter-gatherers. Was Mm. it treated differently? Mm. That's a really interesting question. And one thing I do want to add, actually, you reminded me of uh, when women will start to notice they're in perimenopause is is that emotional highs and lows. They'll they'll be teary. They or they can be. I didn't get that. But some people just crying absolutely, absolutely everything and just really uh, emotionally. um, Yeah, really sensitive. Um, Yeah. So how society kind of looks at it, how society used to look at it, I Obviously, I can't speak for the cavemen um, or the cave women, <laughs> but I suspect that most of the women were dead before they got to, peri- to perimenopause. And in the animal kingdom, there are very few species that actually get as far as menopause. In fact, the only species I've read about that gets to menopause is the whale. And the, the killer whale, for instance, when she gets to perimenopause or menopause, she ends up being, it seems to be from the studies they're doing, she seems to be the boss of the pod and she's out in front when they're going places uh, looking for new hunting grounds, let's say, if the, where they are, where they are used to is run out of salmon, say. She'll show the way to somewhere else. It's like they take her on as the wise leader of the gang, mm. the pod, whatever they're called. <laughs> Um, And I think that societally we have, uh, in the human race, we have mocked women who are in menopause and perimenopause. We associate it with uh, a loss, probably even before our modern day, but it would be a loss of usefulness. We can't make babies anymore. What's the point? Some people talk about perimenopause as simply being and menopause is simply being a construct of our medicalized age because we're living so long. So it wouldn't have been an issue before that. Um, but I think it's it's so associated with a lack of sexiness and it is associated with growing old. And the thing is that if it's happening in your 40s, it's not about growing old. And there is a beautiful life on the other side and there is also beauty within it. But societally, it's smirked about. Interestingly, it used to be called the change and people would speak about the change euphemistically. (laughs) But actually, it's quite a good way of describing it because that is all it is. It's a change and all change has a struggle. It's like a butterfly trying to get out of its cocoon. It's a big old, you know, it's pushing against the the boundaries and then what comes out at the end. So uh, a friend of mine has rechristened it the menomorphose. No, the Menomorphosis. Yeah, menomorphosis. Menomorphosis. Instead of <laughs> the menopause. Yeah, it is actually, but it's quite. Uh, I like it. So, um, I think women are a afraid to accept that it's happening for them, especially in their forties, because they fear the judgment and they fear that it's the end of something. Whereas actually, it can be the beginning of something. And I'd love to talk about that in the min- in a minute. Um, and our teenagers and our men are not. Um, educated to understand what's going on so women will be trying to get understanding from their partners as to how they're feeling and the men will be initially going what's she on about 
I don't believe her or um, it's going on an awfully long time was something that my ex said to me. And because not because he was a twat, but because he hadn't been educated into the fact that it lasts for eight to 10 years. Mm. Um, and people will smirk when you are talking about your hot flush. My sister um, has joined me in making it something that she speaks about in her workplace. She talks about the fact that she's struggling right this minute with a hot flush or whatever. And she's had people say things. Yeah, we all know about it. your menopause, you know, guys shooting at a God lover. She works in the Gardaí, so it's a, a heavily male orientated <laughs> situation. So and actually even women go and oh, stop talking about your menopause. So societally, it's been in either brushed out under the carpet or laughed at or um, even for us ourselves, we have just seen it as a, a sort of a tragedy. It's like, oh, shit, it's all done. I'm finished now. Mm -hmm. But you just ain't. Why aren't you then? What's the beginning? You mentioned what's the beginning with the post? Oh, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> so I think um, a really good question you can ask yourself when you're feeling perimenopausal traits or symptoms is what is this asking me to address? So it's a great time for clearing out what you don't need anymore. It's a great time for simplifying. It's a time when many women will start to be able to say, no, I'm not picking that up again. I'm not cleaning that for you again. I'm not picking up the pieces anymore. No, I'm going out the door. I need to go and have a walk. I don't care if, um, you know, you can't cope with making the kids dinner, just bloody do it. So there's <laughs> the if the progesterone is the caring aunt, she's the one that makes the dinners before looking after herself. <laughs> so if that progesterone is falling off, she's like, the dinners will look after themselves. I need to look after myself right now. So there can be a really lovely surge in self-care if mm. you allow yeah. it. What happens is that you get much less skilled at multitasking you get the brain fog and the only way to handle all those things is to simplify so it's a time of yeah of clearing out and finding what's important mm. and then if there's something like a a fall off well in a way this isn't a whole other subject now it's in terms of what yoga can do for you in perimenopause if you're with a, a teacher who is menopause informed or hormones informed or you know I mean there's definitely going to be some 40 something women in most people's yoga classes so they'll be suffering thing or you know struggling with things like a fall off in libido after the perimenopause really kicks in and to give them the potential if you let them really tune into how their body is to find a sensuality in the way they move instead that it doesn't have to be about sex it can be about enjoying your body in a sensual way even on your yoga mat i know that's kind of anathema to the anti-sexualization of the human uh, that yoga would have aimed for at the beginning which is all about suppressing desires as most mm. kind of religious or spiritual practices are about um so to help to use it to help those students to develop their feelings of pleasure because we all know that pleasure is good for our homeostasis yeah, yeah. so our homeostasis increases from pleasure and our homeostasis is going to be challenged by our menopause just in case any of your listeners don't know what homeostasis is it's the uh, automatic balancing of the systems of the body in a range compatible with survival so it's the things that make you breathe make your heart beat make you digest all those things are better when we experience pleasure 
it's also something yoga is something that can really increase your self-esteem and I'll, I'm developing a course at the moment for teachers to learn about how to teach yoga for menopause but also with women who are menopausal or perimenopausal um, they need their self-esteem boosted so a lot of younger teachers I'd say particularly in the very uh, robust styles of yoga like I think you teach um, they may start finding that their 40 something women start dribbling away they start leaving the class and not coming back because they're probably looking at the younger ones around them in the room still able to do the things they used to be able to do and it might not be that the woman still can't do it she might be doing it and thinking am I feeling that that's still good for me uh, or is it still serving me and she might be pushing to try and make it serve her but her instinct is telling her it's not so she might be looking around at the 30 somethings and going all I can see is how fab they are and how they are what I used to be and so she'll, she might disappear from your class because her self-esteem will be lowered by that. So to find a teacher or for teachers to learn that women in their 40s need those adaptations of yoga postures to be made the norm instead of the exception so that they are deliciously accepted into your class and deliciously um, brought into the passionate highest level of your teaching mm -hmm. rather than an also ran in the back of the room who needs a tweak here and there. But you, you touched on something there about pleasure, and you mentioned sexuality, but also sensuality. I mean, yeah. they and they. It's important to differentiate them. Mm. Um, pleasure, like I, I get pleasure in, uh, say, like I really love jujitsu, mm. even though I don't do it much anymore. And jujitsu, the objective is to strangle the other person. <laughs> <laughs> and and I, I, I. I'm like, and I, or I love like practicing handstands until I can't, my arms can't hold me up anymore mm -hmm. and I just collapse. That's pleasure for me. Mm -hmm. But it's so important that you do, you distinguish for yourself and mm -hmm. define for yourself what is pleasure for you and what is punishment. Yes. Are you doing this movement or this activity because you feel like you have to do it and you're mm -hmm. punishing yourself? Mm -hmm. And I think that um, on, this, on the surface level, you see people doing, say, like a handstand practice. One person maybe is loving it mm -hmm. and they live for it and they're like, God, I feel alive, like I do. Or the other person's like, shit, I should really do my handstand practice and mm -hmm. my wrists are killing me and yeah. I'd rather be doing yin yoga. Yeah. That person is not getting the same benefit because they're punishing themselves instead of pleasuring themselves. Yeah. Such, <laughs> but, um, but, but, and I do believe that um, if you are the kind of, if you like having a bit of dark chocolate and maybe a half a glass of red wine, I talked about myself there, <laughs> I had half a glass of red wine the other day, which I don't drink, so, and some dark chocolate. And for me, that's pleasurable, mm -hmm. you know, and that's good for me as opposed to if I was to eat some steamed broccoli and be like, oh, this is shit, isn't it? Mm -hmm. I'm so, I'm so, so, um, being healthy and being looking after yourself doesn't necessarily mean you're eating kale every day or mm -hmm. or doing planks doing planks every day. Um, and but that's why I think it's so important to be a sensual person to s be in touch with your senses. Yeah. But when we hear sensuality, we sometimes think sexuality. Mm. And you hear the word touch, you don't th you think you don't think platonic touch. You think sexual touch. Mm -hmm. And this, this, and maybe this is because of the Irish culture and English culture, where we've really shied away from sensuality, and therefore now we think it a bit of sexuality. Mm -hmm. Oh, <laughs> I love that. Yeah, no, absolutely. This is precisely what 
my teaching hopes to give in my what I call instinct yoga, which is the yin, the, the permissive, the feminine, the, the, the kinder, the more intuitive and internally aware and instinct moving with your instinct. And the, the uh, Petra Fulham at Earth Cook Eat, I think is her Instagram uh, page, who I do the joint workshops with nutritional therapy and yoga would talk about food in that respect as well. So I love hearing you talking about the wine and the chocolate and the broccoli and the kale. She talks about how much, and I talk about in my yoga, how much uh, pleasure assists in our cons or our digestion of the benefits of either our yoga or our food. So if you're eating a mound of lightly steamed broccoli, you will get less and not enjoying it. You will literally physiologically con uh, take in fewer minerals and vitamins from that broccoli than if you ate it, say, with, I don't know, some fate with bloody chocolate on top of it if you like broccoli and chocolate if you enjoy the broccoli you will get more f physiologically scientifically uh, measurable nutrients from it and I think that that's got to be the same with exercise practices mm. so I think you're absolutely right doing a handstand practice when you'd much rather be doing some yin is anathema to your benefit mm. so uh, but I also think that the pleasure you're getting from your handstand practice is slightly different than the pleasure I'm talking about. I'm talking about literally physiological pleasure, not the kind of, well, maybe you get the, I'm sure you get the physiological pleasure too. I'm not talking about the, woo, that was great, that was fun, I really enjoyed the challenge. That's, that's a kind of serotonin high and a joy. I'm actually talking about the pleasure you get through physical feeling, like I was talking about the beauty of how sensual our fat layer is. So feeling touch, as you say, which is non-sexual or sexual. But if you're in a yoga class and you've got um, the yoga teacher giving you hands on and you're enjoying that, that's the kind of pleasure you can go back and find again and again at that teacher's class. Um, if you, yeah, I think exercise, pushing yourself in all those things without a modicum of pleasure is disastrous. And that's yeah. why... I hope that people, not only perimenopausal people, but particularly perimenopausal, because they'll be knackered and they'll be feeling disgruntled with their body, mm. that they go to a teacher who helps them really interocept. Is that a word? Ooh, I like Develop it. their interoception as the eighth sense, their deep, deep awareness of what's going on in the reactions of their body, no matter what they're doing. And use that, not only develop the awareness of what you like, but bloody respond to it, Kevin. Because so many people are going, I just don't want to do this plank anymore. But they ignore it. They keep doing the bloody plank because everybody else is doing the plank mm. and their wrists are aching. What the hell? It's doing yoga for the sake of yoga or doing yoga for the sake of, of what? I don't know. Mm. It seems to me that doing yoga for the sake of giving yourself, a, unless you're aiming for samadhi, right? Unless you're aiming for enlightenment and union with the divine and leaving this earthly body, why not use yoga to help you move more smoothly through your life instead of to get better at your handstands? Mm. And being good at your handstands might be, as you're saying, one of the things that helps you move more smoothly through life because it gives you a lovely serotonin high and you spend the rest of your day really enjoying the achievement that you've had. I'm not asking for people not to look for achievement but the achievement is about how can I use this 
to move more smoothly through my life. So I'm happy to teach someone who's an athlete. I'm also happy to teach someone who simply wants to be able to walk their dog still when they're 89. Mm -hmm. So that's what I mean by functional yoga. When I, I teach functional yoga, it's about using these practices to function safely, healthily and freely in your life mm -hmm. rather than to achieve a last aim. And I think when a woman's body is changing, that's a really important thing to permit herself. Yeah, but what you said there about someone holding a plank and they know they're, they're essentially punishing themselves, that is a really hard transition to take mm -hmm. in yoga practice when you say, you know what, I'm just going to do a child's pose, I don't care what people think of me. That is so hard for people to get there and it takes mm -hmm. it takes ages and that is obviously you know, the ego and we're social beings and we part of us wants to feel like we can keep up. But um but I, I, you can say it as many times as you like to the student, you know, oh, take down dog or a child's pose. And you can say it as loads and loads of times, but it often takes practice and years of them eventually saying, yes, I'm going to um, take a child's pose. But um, speaking about pleasure, though, um, and I, I, this, this is kind of like a just came into my mind with handstands. What I like about handstand in particular is that six months, well, a year ago, I couldn't do one. Mm -hmm. And... I thought, how does someone stand on their hands? I, I don't get it, how their legs stay up and the legs aren't going everywhere. And when I, every time I do one now, I think, I learned this. Mm. I learned this just consistently doing it, refining, refining. And it makes me realize that I can learn anything at any time. Mm -hmm. I was terrible in school. I was um, very bad in school, like in terms of my development. And um, I didn't know what the purpose was. And anyway, that's another story. But the point is, what I realize now is that at any age, you're not you're not defined after you leave university at 21. Oh God, no. And like, all oh, right, now I need to be a lawyer or and that's what I'm going to do. You can learn anything at any age if you put in the time and the effort and you have a system. That's mm. the first thing I love about handstand. So when I'm actually in a handstand and I'm breathing, I'm like, shit, this is pretty cool. I, I've learned this myself through, dil through being disciplined because mm -hmm. I used to never be disciplined. Mm -hmm. The other thing is... You found your passion, that's why. Yeah, I guess. And, and when I'm talking to people about the splits or about um dealing with your ego and stuff i'm like this is all learned behaviors it doesn't just come to us we have to basically talk to ourselves like we're our own, our own best friend and coach ourselves um through life whether it's a handstand or whether it's through being a better listener to your missus or whatever mm. the other thing though is that when i'm doing a handstand i look at my hands afterwards and my forearms and i can see all the veins and stuff and i'm like i'm strong i'm not getting i refuse to let time make me weak you know and i i know death is coming to us we're only we are only gonna, eventually going to get weak our bones get more brittle but it's almost like every time you do something physically you you i feel like i'm kind of um defying <laughs> father time as it as it were and and also as well my dad is a, a, a manual worker his dad was i mean so my dad built this what we're sitting in now mm. and he built the whole thing from scratch he did the the plumbing he did electrics he did the interior the exterior the whole lot he does everything and i like to be physical because i feel like i'm carrying on the, the boil physicality <laughs> you know i'm not it's weird when i used to work in office i see like fellas typing the keyboard and they've got like small hands and skinny fellas and i'm <laughs> like i don't know it's cool fair play to you and stuff but it doesn't resonate with me like you know i like physical exertion because that's what i've how i value myself it's in, your genes as it's, in my, well. it's in my genes that sometimes i think we overanalyze stuff too much we have to justify like why we are certain ways it's in my genes to be mm. physical mm. so um 
anyway. <laughs> well, what I would love to uh, respond to that as well is that, well, one thing I would say uh, contrary to that is that you can't cheat father time. That's going to happen. And you will find that it might not be, though, Kevin, until your 70s that you'll stop doing handstands. And that's fab. And you might still do them in your 70s. But, you know, uh, you that doesn't mean you've cheated father time. That means that your body <laughs> is quite good at doing handstands and you've just found the technique. So I would say that it's not for that not everyone can achieve everything by diligence and perseverance. So you, I mean, you posted recently about skeletal differences. You, not everyone can learn to do the splits. Not everyone can learn to sit in Lotus without damaging Mm -hmm. their labrum in their hip socket. It's just physiologically impossible if you've internally rotated hips, no amount of practice will make you do a safe Lotus position. So I would vehemently oppose the idea that if, a yoga student isn't doing managing to do x y or z pose it's because he or she isn't trying hard enough or that language that comes in in yoga of like um you're blocked or you know there's something wrong with the way you're practicing Mm. no it might be to do with your physiological structure one of the statements that um is uh, ubiquitous in yoga is practice and all is coming And I think that's a really dangerous statement because practice and all is coming is not the case in the way that it can be understood. No matter how much you practice, some people will never be able to do those, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, legs behind the head poses. However, it's probably more the meaning of practice and all is coming is to do with keep practicing and the all that is coming is actually... uh, awareness a discovery of the center of yourself mm-hmm. rather than the postures so yeah that's just, yeah no that's yeah. a good point because i think um i was kind of exaggerating for effect when i say i can i can learn anything at any stage mm. as in i can learn the process but i know there's some things for example sitting in full lotus i'll never be able to do probably because mm. my body's not shaped that way my hips are not shaped that way and um and in fact actually to touch on that and I know we mentioned it earlier about men and women and in a class. So when you're in, a, and I actually want to go on to, because we've got some questions from Instagram. Oh, great. Just that you know. And one of them is kind of around this question. So maybe I'll just ask their question. You know? Sure, yeah. So, so it's, on the, it's on the phone. Um, and this is because it's a question that I wanted to ask you anyway. So let me go into my Instagram. I'll just do some elevator music while they're doing it. <laughs> okay, cool. Oh, here we go. Saved. Now, um, which one shall I start with? So let's start with this one. Um, Let's start from the beginning, which is generally (laughs) the best place to start. That should have been my elevator music. Start from the (laughs) beginning. Yeah, yeah. You can sing, I can't. Um, Biological. So I... (laughs) Okay. I can learn anything though. Okay, um, so the question I put up though was, uh, I said, speaking with uh, Instinct Yoga tomorrow on the podcast about pre, peri and post menopause and how women shouldn't be exercising the same as men. And I mm. put that as a little bit of a kind of... Come hither. Exactly. <laughs> Take n- Notice me, get attention. <laughs> um, and one of the questions was, um, so when you're in a class and you're teaching the class, how do you explain the differences between women and men? Um, and this is kind of my little spin on this question, while not upsetting anyone. Give, let me give an example. Mm-hmm. So I'll say, okay, look, sitting in full lotus or even sitting in sukhasana, cross-legged, yeah. 
which is called easy pose. <laughs> and I don't find that easy. Okay. I, I find this pose uh, difficult, so therefore I prefer to sit in Virasana Hero Pose, which is kneeling down. And I'll say, because my hips are quite small, I've got a small pelvis, and it's narrow, and the way my femur sits in the socket, that type of thing. And then I'm, and then I'm saying, and that's typical, you know, and, and I, and I want to say like, you know, men are like this typically, but then I don't want women to feel who can't sit in Sukhasana, that they're like a man. Yeah. <laughs> So how do you like how do you handle those situations? What do you say when you, for example, in mm -hmm. in Lotus or Sukhasana? What do you say to people? In so I think that the the male female differences in terms of yoga practice is probably less pronounced than the the more kind of gym and um, marathon running uh, differences in terms of what you should allow your body to do or try to strive for in your body. So I would say that if there was an issue with Sukhasana or Lotus Pose, I would just speak generally to the class and say that um, your the uh, rotation of your hip sockets will determine whether you can do this or not. So if you find it easy to sit cross-legged generally, you probably have fairly externally rotated hip sockets. And if you find it hard, you probably have fairly frontally rotated hip sockets. Mm -hmm. So honor that and use supports for your knees or choose this kneeling position. So I wouldn't make that gender specific. The only time that I would talk about gender specifics would be, um, let's say a guy was doing face down dog and he was finding it really difficult now i don't teach face down dog with straight legs anymore this is pretty radical i don't teach any forward bends with straight legs anymore hmm. um we can talk about that another time if you want no um, I'd, I'd like to right now but well, yeah, you can finish the point we, and yeah. then yeah you're gone so i would say in that circumstance if a guy was saying oh god i can't do this or oh god it's really hard or i look at those those they can do it really easy looking over at some women in the class yeah i would then say I would say it in a way to help him to self-accept, I would say, but that's normal for a lot of guys. Guys genetically will often have shorter hamstrings because of their sporting life, but also just physiologically, it's likely that you have shorter hamstrings. So I wouldn't, I would only use a gender specific in terms of encouraging someone to accept his body. Mm -hmm. um, I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't feel the need to do it otherwise. Okay, why, why bent legs? Okay, so. Even though I started off uh, my yoga journey with Iyengar yoga, which is not as ferocious as, say, Ashtanga yoga, I still injured myself right. early on. So I would have injured my body when I was in drama school doing some crazy anti uh, acrobatics and stuff. Um, my back went out, quote unquote. I don't know how else to describe it. People will understand what I mean, though, who suffer from back issues. And this was way before I did yoga. Then I found yoga when I was actually I was close to 30 before I started yoga and I continued because I was quote unquote good at it, especially in the eyes of my teacher, who was an extraordinarily experienced teacher. Um, she used to train Iyengar teachers um, and she used to use me as a someone to demonstrate poses because she thought I was quote unquote good at it. Mm -hmm. So I thought I was fab so I kept working past the pulling in my coccyx and sacrum and I know that in many of the times when my back went out since I started yoga that though I wouldn't admit it to myself or to my yoga students when I became a teacher I know that doing f straight legged forward folds was constantly and um, 
damagingly pulling on my sacrum and coccyx. Mm. And since then, I've learned the biology around that, that if you're straight legged forward folding, the hamstrings are pulling the pelvis down and the spine is pulling the sacrum up and that is destabilizing the sacroiliac joints. Mm. So I once I stopped, I had I had a chronic perpetual sense of bruising pain in my coccyx and sacrum for about 10 years. And once I stopped practicing with straight legs, I no longer have that pain. If my back still goes out and it's a family weakness, um, so it's it's a genetic thing again, uh, it's it stays out for much less time. It's much less severe. It never stops me walking anymore. I also have changed my ways, which is that I tell my yoga students that my yoga has injured me and that that's why I have adapted. And that for most people, unless you're hypermobile, you will destabilize your sacrum. And if you're hypermobile, your sacrum is already unstable anyway. So I am pretty maverick in the way I'm teaching now. Um, and you were talking earlier about uh, how do you convince people to do child's pose instead of dog. In my classes now, most people will choose the gentler option because I will teach them from the ground up. So if I'm teaching Cobra, I'll first have them lie flat on the ground and I'll explain to them that lying on your belly is already a backbend. <laughs> lying on your belly with your forehead in your hands, you know, lifting up, sitting up a little like you're looking at it, reading a book on the floor. That's a backbend. So I'll talk them from the ground up rather than from the advanced down. Mm. I also, for instance, don't even teach Cobra with the hands on the mat anymore. Mm. My hands come off the mat. Me now. too. Me too. Great. That's great to hear, Kevin, because yeah. the shoulder issues that were going around the classes and in, you know, see, the thing is, when you start, you were talking earlier about do I know X, Y, or Z person? And we have famous people and, you know, people who are famous to us dependent on what we love. So because I'm into functional yoga, biomechanically safe yoga, um, adapted yoga, you know, I, I would have uh, done uh, intensives with Donna Fari on sacroiliac yeah. health. Uh, I, on my, the Facebook forums that I'm interested in, it's all about what can we do to change the way yoga is teach, taught because so many people are injured and they're not admitting it. Mm. And so many teachers are hypermobile and they won't admit that. Mm -hmm. But they have students looking at this hypermobile teacher who's just pretending they're bendy like this, even to pretending them to themselves they're bendy like this because they're so fab at yoga. So how can we um, help our teachers to notice what... Uh, what isn't helpful and be capable of admitting it without the fear of losing students. Mm. I just have different kinds of students now. I have the ones who need yoga to stay sane. They need yoga to stay mobile and they need yoga to stay strong for the life they lead rather than as a sport with an end game or a practice with a, an achievement sort of sense with mm. it but they do feel an achievement because they feel the achievement of wow I, I you know I feel really calm or mm -hmm. I went home and I didn't scream at the kids yeah, or you know all those kind of things and physical mm. you know I have marathon runners in my um, classes as well and they find the physiological benefits too it doesn't have to be extreme to be incredibly phys physiologically mentally and emotionally delicious mm. do you think though do you supplement your yoga practice with weightlifting oh i supplement it with lovely things so that was actually i'm glad you asked that because one of the things that when you were talking about the handstand practice uh 
one of the most important things about the body is that it loves and needs variety yeah. in food and in physical practices. Yeah. So I, ju- I just put my hands in the did. air, by the way, in, in a kind of, I'm rejoicing that you yeah. said that because that is so important. Variety is key. Go yeah. On. And I think what's really um, difficult is that with the new studio culture, which, you know, when I started teaching yoga, there was maybe like two yoga studios in Ireland. Um, now there's so many studios and God love them. They're providing a brilliant service, but it costs a fortune. So they sell memberships and they sell yoga as something that can tick all the boxes. It can't tick all the boxes. You have to go and do some strength training as well if you want to maintain. It can it can help with muscle mass and bone density. And certainly I teach in that way. But you might need to go and do some actual weightlifting. Mm-hmm. I don't personally do it, but I do my yoga practice in a way that I'm kind of um, my muscles are behaving as if they're weightlifting. Yeah, I get you. But I also do five rhythms dancing. I also go for fast runs or fast, not fast runs, very slow run on a beach. I'll swim in the sea. I'll go for a slow. Uh, did I say a slow run on the beach? Slow run on the beach. Or, or, fast walk, hike. There you you go. know, you need to do low. <laughs> thank you. Sorting out my head. I, actually, my brain fog isn't even really bad at the moment, but I still need someone to sort me out from across the table. Um, you need variety in your tissues, because if you just do yoga, mm. you'll be good at yoga. And when, you, and when you say just yoga to people who are even more specific, if you're doing sun salutation, Sirenamaskar, AB, all the time, the same thing, the same cadence, uh, yeah. the same breath, you need to change up time under tension, resistance, yeah. you, um, fre- frequency of training as well. Like, do you, do you take rest? If you're doing the same thing every single yeah. day, that's not good you, you need to surprise your body. But as you mentioned there about weight lifting, people think, oh, like... It, I mean, you can you can do um, like active stretching instead of passive stretching, for example. Yes, don't get me started. And, <laughs> but um, but the, this is this I think is the teacher's responsibility to educate people about this, and and it's it's easy enough to switch off and go right. We're just going to do the same thing we always do. But I like to when I teach a class, I have a like a five minute intro, and that's a short one for me because I want people to know this is the purpose. This is why I've designed it this way, and we're we're always going to be doing something a little bit different that complement each other Mm -hmm. because your body wants variety. Um, And, uh, but I do think though that like lifting, I mean, there's no put, okay, you can do loads of things like pulling motions. You can use pulling muscles. Like when you use, when you do do a cobra with the hands off the floor or locust pose, you are using your back muscles. Mm -hmm. You're pulling your chest off the floor. But equally, I do think that if you're doing, say, handstands or planks or chaturanga, you need to be hanging. Hanging is so important. For, like just a simple dead hang from a pull-up bar. Not doing a pull-up, but hanging. Because that's the way I, I, that's so good for our shoulders. I mean, if you believe we're originally from primates, they are distant mm. relatives. Um, the, these type of things, when I think like in some teachers' heads, they think, well, if I say that, people are going to stop coming to my classes and start doing TRX or mm. uh, pull-ups and they're not going to come to classes. But... Um, I think you, you're doing people a disservice if you don't oh, yeah. tell them that. Yeah, th- that's that's my absolute um, key thing is that I have to risk that I'll lose people if yoga is yeah. not for them because I can't pretend that it's for everybody. And doctors kind of blanket recommend it for back issues and they don't know what they're recommending. They might recommend a really, sub- they'll say to somebody, go to yoga for your back issues and then that person who's never done yoga before will, 
Google yoga, come up to a Ashtanga class mm. and pull their back ridiculously when actually what they need is a therapeutic yoga, but the mm. GP doesn't know that. So we can't presume that yoga is good for everyone. And you have to trust that you might lose some people, but you'll gain the people for whom it's right and for whom you're the right teacher. Mm. And, you know, I'm often saying on, uh, you know, on my posts, because I as well as teaching uh, yoga with women who are in their 40s and being a passion and, and um, most of my classes are for just general, the general population. And I teach a yoga where I actually just want to help you learn your interoception, learn what your body wants and needs get enough information and logical uh, education from me so that you can create your own practice in your own time. Exactly. And I'm always saying I'm going to just talk myself out of a job here. <laughs> but, you know, when I started yoga, it wasn't it wasn't a job. I think it isn't for many people. In mm. fact, I, I find it really um, unusual and new when I hear young yoga teachers saying to me they're thinking of going full time as a yoga teacher. And I'm like, what does that mean going full time as a yoga teacher? Like it's it's a it's never was a career option when I was mm. training. Um, it's funny. But, but also to differentiate as well, as well, because I think it's important between yoga and yogic movement. So if, you, if we think about uh, yog, yes. yogic asana, so postures like worry one, worry two, static holding, you know, isometric holes um, for your muscles. That is what you would call like, yoga movements but you can be you can do yoga doing pull-ups yes I, that sounds completely cra- I sound, that sounds crazy but like i hold onto the bar i'm like where well, every finger is wrapped around the exactly. bar my my phalanges <laughs> but like i'm holding onto the bar and i'm thinking right now engage the forearm and now i'm going to pull from the scapula and as i do yeah. that i'm going to take my inhale my exhale and i'm thinking about every single thing what i'm doing with my core my legs and how what am i what am i saying to myself as yeah. i'm doing the pull-ups yeah am i um like doing something I haven't done before? Am I berating myself and only doing six and not seven pull-ups? Yeah. You can be yogic and Completely. be a yogi without even stepping on a yoga mat. Completely, thank you, yes. <laughs> and in your five rhythms dancing or your run or the and, way you're yeah. dealing with your kids or whatever. But it's about awareness. But what you're talking about there is also kind of the koshas, isn't it? You're, you're bringing body awareness. Yeah. You're bringing in intelligence, your mind. You're using your mind instead of trying to throw it out the door. You're using uh, pleasure because you're, you're, the bliss layer is in there. The breathing layer is in there. So mm. that's the koshas. There's one, or the intuitive layer. Is this okay for me today? Mm. So if you, I think instead of the seeing as the koshas as things to be gotten through till we get to the bliss layer, actually bring them all onto the path with you. Mm. So you're bringing your intelligence, you're bringing body awareness, you're bringing instinct, you're bringing breath and you're bringing bliss. You're bringing a sense of pleasure. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, I I think that the main thing is never to do your go to a yoga class in blind faith Mm. uh, that your teacher will keep you safe and that your teacher knows all the answers that you need to bring all your faculties with you. Um, one of the big things I would teach, for instance, is never to kind of starfish yourself on the mat in a, like, say, in <laughs> Crescent Lunge. People, I always think of their joints like a starfish just splattered on the ocean floor. But actually, biologically, you can't let your joints hang passively in such an extraordinary range of motion without mm-hmm. them long term damaging. So actually, instead of splatting and feeling really kind of wide open and fantastically yogic and really bendy is actually bring muscular tone into Mm. all the joints and feel more like a dolphin ready to you know (laughs) leap out of the water instead of that passive starfish on the bottom of the floor you know so it's it's just oh i don't know because we're so visual though if you see 
uh, or 30 people in crescent pose um, or high lunge and you're looking at them and they think right if my the higher my hands are the lower the hips are the better I'm doing this pose that's what they think because we see that and you're you're looking you're taking up loads of room it's starfish as you said and therefore you're thinking to yourself well I look like I'm doing the pose well Mm. whereas when I when I'm teaching it from the ground up and I'll say okay Sometimes I'll do like you put your heel on a blanket mm-hmm. and then slightly pull the blanket towards you. Lovely. Like that. So, but you, to the untrained eye, you can't see this person moving, mm-hmm. but they're energetically, they're moving oh, their heel to their back knee and vice versa. Yeah. They're scissoring those together. And, but again, it, it, it it's your responsibility as a teacher to be like, I'm telling you, I know it doesn't look as impressive, mm-hmm. but you're going to get way more out of it and you're actually using muscular engagement. I think also as well, there is a thing of, you know, I'm very lean. I can see all my muscles. And you know, so I'll, I'll be like, all right, I can see that muscle engage, whereas some people aren't as lean. They think, well, if I can't see the muscle, uh, I don't know how to fire it. And I know that's kind of a slightly different topic, but I really do. How would you describe that that as that type of yoga? Would you say integrated yoga as opposed to I stretchy call, yoga? For me, I would call it functional yoga. Functional and yoga. And also biomechanically intelligent. Ooh. Do you know where you're? Yeah, yeah I like yeah, that. Yeah, you know where functional you're aware is good, of. Though. Yeah, functional is good to keep you functional, but also functional within the range of what's n- what's normal for a human body. Like, yeah. you like- know, you won't if you actually if you move instinctually, you'll if you move for pleasure and instinctually, you'll never injure yourself. If you were, I keep coming back from the cave, to the caveman. If you were a caveman <laughs> and you wanted to get comfortable in your body, you'd never do crescent lunge. You'd just be, you know, you might have a little stretch around the fire, or you go for, you know, you have your your running to catch your your hunt, your whatever your prey, and then you're probably resting. Yeah. You know, I mean, we don't do any running to catch our prey anymore, so we have to move. But if you just it, sometimes, if you just well, bring in the why. You know, when your teacher asks you to do something. Just go into your own internal why. Isn't it? I know, you, I, I know you're getting cold and, and you're... No, I'm fine. I'm very happy. And if I, yeah, <laughs> I could talk for Ireland. I'm, get, I'm, I'm getting a radio in here soon. But um, um, it's funny, actually. Do you notice, just side point, we'll go back to that. Do women get colder than men? Oh, I think so. Yeah, weird, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, metabolism. Like, that's part of why we can't be exercising the same, as we have different bloody metabolisms. We've got to respond to our metabolisms. Yeah, because I know, like, most women I know are like, oh, I'm freezing all the time. Whereas yeah. I, I like the cold. I, you know, anyway. Uh, but anyway, that's a separate yeah. thing. But isn't it funny how, like, you know, we don't... Um, we don't have to run anymore to catch anything or away from anything. And that's why I think, like, you see people, especially on Saturday morning, running, and we're kind of constantly playing a trick in our mind that we have to run, but we actually don't have to. Yeah. <laughs> and do you know what's a really interesting thing, um, co- coming back to cortisol and the perimenopause thing as well, that if we don't uh, respond to cortisol surges in the way that we would have prehistorically, the cortisol stays in the body. So cortisol is to ready your muscles to make you run. Mm. right to run from the the threat so actually doing a a burst of something intense to get rid of the cortisol can potentially you know ease you from a a life of anxiety because we're the cortisol is there because we're worrying about money and we're worrying about this and worrying about that so if you go and give yourself a burst of activity as if you're running from a saber-toothed tiger Mm. then possibly you might be able to just get rid of that 
cortisol surge, that yeah. spooky feeling. Yeah, uh, yeah, that thing of like like long endurance run, and fair play to people who do that. But when they're like, you see them, they're running, their face looks pained, and, mm. and what I do is I go to the uh, the football field nearby and length of the football field, and I'll just like run, run, run as fast, leg like, it, leg yeah. it, basically interval sprints, and uh, get I some. I think those are probably quite good. Yeah, yeah very good. Um, and uh, you know, as you said in, in the other podcast, um, the Social Fabric podcast. Like sometimes get up in the morning, right? Even you got ten minutes, five minutes, you got kids and that kind of thing. Put some headphones on. Put like your favorite tunes on that remind you back in the day when you were, you know, mm. I don't know, whatever, when a happier time maybe. Or just <laughs> stuff just, that makes you like stuff that makes yeah, and just mm. d- d- dance up and down. I do like a lot of Wim Hof. I just jump on the spot and put my arms in the air and do some whoosh, like a a whoosh yeah. sound, you know, and then. And then once I do that, I'm like, okay, now I've started to move. I'll do something else. Mm. And then I'm, uh, I've done that. Now I'll add this on. And next thing you know, I'm there for an hour and a half doing exactly. whatever I'm doing. Exactly. But um, the important thing is to start. I'm going to quickly check yeah, the questions. Because I've just realized that we've actually answered like all the questions just, oh, <laughs> just in talking in. I'm delighted that people were asking, though. It's yeah. Great. It's basically all the same thing about, um, yeah, I, we've answered all the questions that. Is it mostly the men, women thing? that the questions came in on less about perimenopause. It's because your audience is quite young, but they're going to learn a lot now, I'd say. Yeah, absolutely. Is there anything you wanted to finish off on? Um, Well, one of the things that just struck me, just you were saying about how do you persuade uh, your students to choose face down dog, uh, no, child's pose instead of face down dog. Um, I talked about when you're teaching, initially teach from the ground up, like starting off with a back bend being just lying on your belly. Yeah. But also teachers demonstrate less what you can do and demonstrate more what you imagine a beginner could do. So just, yeah, just don't constantly be doing the big chaturanga. Just Mm. when when you're saying, and you could do this if you want to, you do that one because the chaturanga heads are going to know their chaturanga, you know, Mm. show them the knees on the floor instead of the the full pose. That's so important. Yeah. Um, yeah, so what I would like to, to just to finish off with in terms of the perimenopause thing is that the central, a few uh, just a few points, I'll, I'll be brief if I can. That's so good, it's no rush. Um, the central thing for teachers to encourage their students to do and for yogis to do for themselves is rest. So factor rest in to all your exercise uh, habits, but just give yourself space and rest that's what's going to lower, lower the cortisol and if you can lower the cortisol your journey will be much much smoother mm. know that perimenopause is an up and down situation it, it's there's surges of feeling good and then deep dips the, the hormones fall away in ups and downs rather than on a straight on a, a consistent line um, funnily enough, I was just uh, I'd written a few notes because the things that I, I really feel are important. And actually, I just before I even uh, I just happened to say this before I read it. But I said, find a teacher who doesn't demonstrate the perfect pose, mm. but demonstrates his or her own limits and her or his or her incapabilities instead of demonstrating his or her capabilities. Mm. And then for teachers, I'm, I am creating a teacher training for yoga for menopause or yoga with menopausal people in your class or perimenopausal I should always say that because menopause is a much smoother time when you you know you're just you're back to uh, finding the new version of you that you've grown into um, so for yoga teachers to learn about it 
biologically and also regarding the myriad of possible effects and how individual they are. And for teachers to learn the language to speak about it, because some people will be happy to speak about it till the cows come home like me, and some people won't want to speak about it. They'll want to talk about it quietly. Mm. Um, yeah, to use your language depending on what you're hearing from your students. Mm-hmm. And for everybody to know that it's a natural phase. It can be a difficult time. It has peaks and troughs and yoga. I, I, there's just there isn't a part of yoga that probably won't help you if you're not pushing yourself and not judging yourself with regard to the other people in the room. There isn't a part of yoga that won't help you because meditation will help. Pranayama will help um, the keeping your joints juicy, because that's the other thing with perimenopause. The joints will start to seize up a little bit. So you need to keep them juicy bone density, cardiovascular health and muscle mass will all decrease at this time. So you need to work on those. Yoga will give you those, but it can't fix everything. Look for a massage, look for nutritional therapy. And if you need to go to a doctor. Hmm. So that would be it. Um, yeah. Brilliant. Neve, that's fantastic. Pleasure. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to that episode with Neve. Hope you learn lots about the old menopause. If you would like to, sorry, leave a review on iTunes, please do. That would be fantastic. And you can also share this with your friends on your Instagram stories. As always, this podcast is brought to you by Small Changes, organic, eco-friendly store based here in Dublin that provides stuff for the house, stuff for your body to make you feel better and to look after this world that we're living in. And to, yeah, to basically do more for ourselves than everyone else. So check out smallchanges.ie. No online offering. You've got to go in there and speak to people. And uh, yes, that's pretty much it. Now I'm waffling. I've had too many coffees today. I hope you uh, have a great week and I will catch up with you next week. <laughs>